I would ask, brothers and sisters, for you to please turn in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be looking at chapter 12 and verses 28 to 34. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Mark chapter 12 and verses 28 to 34. Brothers and sisters, if you would then please hear with me the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all our heart and with all the understanding and with all strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we look to conclude with part two in our study on Jesus' teaching on the, the greatest commandment. Right, last week, we've seen that the, the scribe hears Jesus answer the Sadducees well, and so he approaches Jesus. And he asks Jesus this question, what is the greatest commandment? As the scribes, being teachers of the law, were, were concerned with this answer. And Jesus responds to him, doesn't He? But He doesn't respond with just one answer or just one commandment. He responds with two. And the first commandment He responds with was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And in placing this commandment first and placing this commandment as preeminent above the second, what Jesus was essentially telling the scribe and all those who are with them, and, and what he's telling us here today is that God comes first. Right? God comes first. And that he is not pleased with anything less than love toward him in its entirety. That we are to love God with our whole being, both body and soul. That God accepts nothing less from his saints than comprehensive love towards him. Right? This is what he told us. In that first commandment. The second commandment that Jesus now gives that we're going to look at more today also consists of love. But now it consists of love towards one neighbor. We're told to love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two commandments, we see the entire law comprehended in that one word. That one word which is love. And it makes perfect sense to us, doesn't it? For God is love. And so it makes sense that the God who is love desires that His creatures who He created right, demonstrate love towards one another. 
as love is the most excellent of all of God's graces. Right? Love is the reason that God has created us. Love is the reason that He sent His Son into the world. Love is the reason that He has redeemed a people for Himself. And yet, we must be careful not to reduce the love of God to only this. Right? We must understand that when we talk about the love of God, it is not to just be reduced to God's outward workings in creation. Right? What we need to understand is that when we talk about the love of God, what we are talking about is, and what we are saying is that love is the very essence of who God is. It's just not His external works. It's who He is in and of Himself. By nature, He is love. This is why then He does these works in creation. They are a demonstration, a manifestation of the love that God has for us. Because love is God's nature. Right? Love, love, though, is not our nature. Right? Love is not our nature. But through the quickening of the Spirit, through, through our conversion, through our regeneration... Through the Spirit, God now enables us to love each other with a love that reflects or is analogous to our Creator's love. Which means that love ought to shine then most eminently with God's people, should it not? Right? This is what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. And so these two great commandments then teach us that love, man to man, is not the greatest love. But love to God is. For you, for without love to God being first and preeminent, you cannot love your fellow man. Right? Love of man is dependent upon love of God. Right? Our love for one another must be kindled in our hearts by God. So that we now come to love that which we did not love before. And had not the capacity to love before. We need this. For, for God is love's origin. God is love's origin. He pours His love into our hearts. And what it does is then it causes us to love one another. It enables us to now love our neighbors as ourselves. And this love for neighbor, just like our love for God last week, that Jesus is, is commanding here, these are not new commandments. As we pointed out last week, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Jesus is pulling from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He's not giving a new commandment. And neither is He doing that with the second commandment here either. He's pulling from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 to say, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's now this discussion between the scribe, the, the law expert, and, and Christ over these two commandments that we are going to, to look at closer this morning. And we're going to do so then under three main points. And the three main points are this. The first point is proper words. Proper words. Right? We see here in our text that the scribe acknowledges that Jesus uses proper words. He, he answers correctly. Point number two then is Proper practice. The scribe correctly identifies the need for the proper practice in religion. We'll see that in his response to Jesus. And then point three is proximity to the kingdom. After hearing the scribe's response, Jesus will then tell him of his proximity to the kingdom. So those are our three points. Proper 
Words, proper practice, proximity to the kingdom. And so point number one, proper words. After Jesus gives these two commandments, we're told the scribe says in verse 32, you are right, teacher. Now we don't know for certain what the motives of this scribe is. We don't know why he has approached Jesus. But don't his intentions appear to be pure? They appear to be sincere, do they not? Especially after we've looked at some of the other confrontations Jesus has had thus far, where they approach Jesus trying to, to trap him. Here it appears that, that this scribe is sincere, that, that he's agreeable, that he's teachable. He's even willing to say, Jesus, you are right before other people. And so it appears that, that, that he doesn't have any underlying motive that he's trying to trap or destroy Jesus. But he has a sincere question that he desires Jesus to answer. And as Jesus answers it, he agrees with it. Right? To love God is most important. Right? To love God is most important. We need to understand that because without love of God first, everything else we do, God rejects. Everything else we do, God rejects. This is what the scribe understood. He was wise enough to realize this, but this is something that many in this world do not recognize. Right? That without love for God being the foundation for all of our works, nothing that we do can be truly good. Without love of God as the foundation for everything we do, what you do cannot be truly good. And the unbeliever will say, well, why is that? We love just like you love. What's the difference between the love of the unbeliever and the love of the believer? Well, brothers and sisters, being unbelievers at one time, we should know this. Right? The unbeliever distorts love, focusing it upon the wrong object, which is himself primarily. Unbelieving man loves himself first of all, and so he acts in accordance with that self-love, which is the reason and behind everything that the unbeliever does in this world. Which is why all of his deeds and actions are rejected by God. Why he despises them. Because they are done out of self-love, not love towards God. Right? But the believer, right? the object of the love for the believer is not himself primarily. But first it is God. And it is this kind of love then that causes us to love whatever God loves. And to love whatever God wills us to love, which he tells us is our neighbor. This the scribe understood. Right, he understood that we will never love one another unless we first love God first. Because without love for God, our love is going to be a selfish love. It's going to be a love that looks to our own self-interest first. But when you love God first, then you will have a selfless love. Right? A love that looks to the interest not only of yourself, but of your neighbor. Last week I said that all the problems in this world, I think, can be boiled down to one thing. And that is that there is no love of God. That there is no love of God. Today, in this day and age, we want a world without God in it. Well, then you have to deal with the consequences of a world without God. And that is also then a world without love for one another. A world without love for your neighbor. Right? We see the result in our world today. After Over the past couple of years, Right, race relations has, has boiled up to the forefront again, has it not? Especially over the last year or two. Uh, politics, have they not driven a, a great wedge between people? I mean, we think that we are so progressive in this country, do we not? 
We think that we've come so far that we are so much smarter than everyone who's come before us. But I ask you then, why can we not get over the same hurdles that all of those before us could not get over? Was not race and politics an issue in the first century as well? Were not the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing over matters of the law? Wasn't there not dissension between the Jews and the Samaritans? So much so that the woman at the well can say to Jesus in John chapter 4 verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? As much as we think we've changed, brothers and sisters, in fact, nothing has changed. And nothing has changed because the problem remains the same. There is no love of God in our land. And if there is no love of God, how in the world can we think that we can love our neighbor? There's no love for God. How can we love one another? You cannot do it. And so the more advanced we think we become, the more progressive we think we are, the more, the more woke we think we are, what we, what we tend to see now is that through the wisdom of the world, what is it doing? The more woke we become, not the more closer are we drawing near to one another, the more divisive we are becoming through the wisdom of this world. And so how can we expect peace and harmony and kindness and compassion and love and forgiveness in a society where there is no love for God? You can't. Right? Today, if you mess up, right, the, the world wants to ostracize you. They want to shame you. They want to silence you. But this is what, this is what you get with a world where there is no love of God. This is the utopia this world wanted. One where the self-righteous swallow up the less self-righteous. But brothers and sisters, the ungodly are only living according to their own nature. Right? We can't expect them to live like a Christian. We can't expect them to exhibit spirit-wrought graces in their lives. Like love for God and love for one another. It won't ever happen. And so our society is really living in a fantasy land. Believing that, that man can never be reconciled to man without man first being reconciled to God. How delusional to think that the unbelieving world has the capacity to find peace with man apart from God. This world teaches us what? It teaches us to devour one another if you wrong me in the slightest. This is why peace only comes about for the Christian. For what does God teach us? Not the way of the world. But the, the, the way of God is to seek peace with all men. Right? To, to forgive anyone. Right? To, to love our enemies. And so it is the Christian alone who can be at peace, who can forgive, who can love, who can work alongside those who have wronged us or hurt us Right? It is the Christian who can overlook those slights. And why is it? Because we know what it is to sin against someone. We know what it is to be unworthy of forgiveness and yet receive it. As we have received forgiveness from God Almighty through His staggering and splendid love. Now what's sad though, in the scribe's response, is that although he affirms Jesus' words here, he doesn't truly know what they mean. He affirms the words. He doesn't know what he mean, what they mean. Right? He, he demonstrates that he is really only there to get a correct answer for debate. He goes to the smartest guy in the room to try to get him, get the answer to the question so that when he goes back and talks with his, his scribe buddies, he'll have the right answer. Right? I think we know what that's like. We've, we've done that a lot too, haven't we? 
you, you've been in debate with someone about something, and you don't know the answer, so you say, oh, well, let's put a pin in it, we'll get back to you tomorrow, and you run to someone that you know who knows the answer, and you ask the answer, and you go back and you say it. Why? So that you can be right. You, you probably don't even know anything other than the bare words that you've spoken, but you say it so that you can be right. Well, this is what the scribe, I think, is doing here today. And what's ironic, though, about his affirmation in saying that Jesus spoke properly is that he is affirming the very words that condemn him and he doesn't even know it. He says, yes, we must love God and we must love neighbor. And as he's saying this, he's probably picturing in his mind on the scale how high on that scale of love he stood. And what he should have done in recognizing that Jesus spoke proper and that Jesus spoke perfect and He spoke correctly, was He should have cried out in repentance for His total lack of love toward God and toward neighbor. Seeing how incredibly short He has fallen against God's perfect standard of righteousness. But He was so blinded by His concern for knowledge that He had failed to see that He stood under the judgment of God. And brothers and sisters, I must ask you, how many of us are like that today? Right? How many are like that who sit in pews today? Right? They, they say, yes, Jesus, we absolutely agree with you. We are to love God and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And they actually believe that they can do it. And they long for the day that Jesus will return so that He will let them into the kingdom because they have done this. But oh, what a surprise It will be for them on that day. For on that day they will learn that anyone who seeks to be made righteous by the law will only find cursings and death. May it not be too late for any of us here. May we see that the law is not of faith. And that the righteousness that you need and the righteousness that we ought to see in these two commandments is perfect righteousness. It's a righteousness that you and I do not have. It is, a you, it is a righteousness that you and I, through our works, cannot get. It is a righteousness that Christ and Christ alone has that needs to be imputed or credited to our account. And so let us see, brothers and sisters, that you will never love God apart from faith in Christ. You will never love your neighbor apart from faith in Christ. And so don't be content here with just having intellectual knowledge, with being able to have the the right answers of your religion. But rather, let us labor after true faith. And true faith seeks to move that which is in the head down to the heart. And for if the scribe had done this, he would have seen the, the spiritual nature of the law. And his response wouldn't have been to Jesus. Jesus, you answered properly. You answered well. What would his response have been? It would have been a a crying out, Lord, save me for I am a sinner. That's what he would have said. He would have recognized, I have not loved God as I ought to. I have not loved my neighbor as as I ought to. Lord, help me. Save me. And yet, even among God's children today, how few of us practice this? How how many of the godly fall so short of loving our neighbors as ourselves? How many of us know the right answer? Yes, Lord, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But how few of us actually put this commandment into practice today? And we need to understand that this displeases our Father greatly. 
And this takes us then to point number two, brothers and sisters, which is proper practice. Look with me at the scribe's response once more in verses 32 and 33. Here we read this. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What we see here is that the scribe repeats back Jesus' answer to him. But not only does he repeat back the answer, but he includes something else. He says that all these commandments are much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's saying this love that fulfills the law is superior to the whole sacrificial system. What the scribe responds with in hearing Jesus' words is really an acknowledgement that God hates false religion. He is acknowledging that that God hates hypocrisy in worship. And was this not prevalent in Jesus' day? Did not Jesus come constantly rebuking the Jewish leaders for their their lack of love and their hypocrisy in worship of God? They made religion all about rituals, did they not? And in doing so, they divorced the law from love. If you asked one of the scribes or the Pharisees, you know, give me a list of the most important commands. At the very top of the list would have been ritual observance, which is why love was so neglected. And we have a perfect example of this in our text. In just a couple uh, chapters before this, actually. In Mark chapter 7, if you'd turn with me there, please. Mark chapter 7 in verses 19 to 13. Here we have a perfect example of their, of their love for ritual observance and not love for one another. Now we read this. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Right, where is their love for their neighbor here? And their neighbor is their parents. It is their mother and father. And yet to escape the burden of helping their parents. What do they do? They teach people that all you have to do is declare your, your goods as Corbin, meaning set apart or an offering to the Lord, and then you, you escape having to help out your parents. You see, ritual observance to them was like a sport. Right? Who, could, who could do it better? But if they had love for God in their hearts, they would have loved their parents. And they would have seen helping their parents as something that was joyous. Right? It would have been a joyous duty to do. Not one that they, that they reviled at and, and hated and sought to find a loophole in the law to escape its demands. This scribe, he understands that love is more acceptable to God than sacrifice. Is this not what we read from the prophet Hosea? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. 
the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, what is worship without love? It's nothing. What is obedience to the commandments without love? It is nothing. If there is no love here for God today or for one another, then we might as well pack up our things and go home. Right? If we come here just to worship God outwardly and according to His words that we might tell people, you know, we do it better than you, then we might as well go home. Because worship or, or sacrifice of praise or obedience to the law has absolutely no value for you and I if it is not united with love. It has no value. And so we have to ask ourselves this day, as we have come into the Lord's presence, right, how have we walked into His presence this day? Right, have we come with love in our hearts? Or have we come just to perform rituals? Have we, have we come just to, to pray and to hear the preached Word and to receive the sacrament? Or have we come to love our Lord and God? Have we come to, learn, to love one another? Or do we come looking to just do the rituals and then leave as soon as we can? Right? Investing ourselves in one another. Not at all. Do we come to offer just this type of, of hip, hypocritical worship? And then not talk to each other. Not engage with one another. Not have any relationship with one another. Not looking to your brothers and sisters to the left or to the right, willing to lift a, a helping hand for one another. Or do you come with hearts permeated with love for God and for one another on this day? You see, we have to understand that, that many Christians come into the, to God's house and they come full of self-love. And when you have self-love above all, right, that is selfish love. But self-love, which comes after love of God. Self-love that comes after love of God and is exercised to the same measure as our neighbor that we, met, that we exercise to ourselves. That is what God commends here in our text today. Right? Loving ourselves and loving one another is good and it has its proper place and measure. But we must always keep in mind that love for ourselves and love for our neighbor is always subordinate to our love for God. We must always maintain that distinction. Keep those uh, properly balanced. For when we don't, when we start to love ourselves more than God, when we start to love our neighbor more than God, what happens? We start to compromise on truth, don't we? And that's what we see going on so much in, in churches around this nation. And so this is something we must never do. Now last week we looked at what it meant to, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this week we're going to look at what it means to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we put this commandment that is predicated upon love into practice? Right? How do we put this commandment predicated on love into practice? Well, I ask you, who, who are we to look after? Who are we to, to look to in, in how we are to practice this? How about the one who alone loved his neighbor perfectly? We have to look to Jesus Christ, should we not? And how did Jesus Christ love his neighbor? It was with a, a self-giving love, was it not? Right? Jesus did not come looking what he could get from us. Jesus did not come looking to take and take and take. Jesus came giving up of himself to all of us. That is the love that Jesus exhibited in his coming. And so as his church, we should love our neighbor in the exact same way. We ought to love 
not expecting anything from our neighbor in return. Love for our, our neighbor is also not only to be found in words, but likewise it is to be found in actions. Right? This is what John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Jesus spent time with the apostles. Right? He, he talked often with the apostles. He, he ate with the apostles. They were in one another's homes. Is that what we do here at Covenant Baptist Church? Or can we only stomach each other for an hour or two on Sunday morning? We are exhorted to, to love one another in truth. Right? This demonstrates love. Jesus spoke to the apostles in truth. We ought to speak to one another in truth, caring about one another's walk in the faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, we, we were told this, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Also, brothers and sisters, love does not revel when your brother and sister does wrong. Love doesn't uh, enjoy ill for others. Right? Love doesn't enjoy when something bad happens to those whom we love. Rather, we are called to what? Weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? Paul says in Romans 13, verse 10, love does no wrong to its neighbor. Love does no wrong. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, that loving our neighbor means loving one another earnestly and with a pure heart. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, that love is to comfort and to encourage the faint-hearted. Right? Love means praying for one another. Right? Don't we see this example in Christ's ministry? He's constantly praying for the saints, understanding how efficacious the prayer of the righteous is towards one another. And why are we to labor for this kind of love? Why are we to labor for this kind of love? Not just because God commands it. Not just because Christ exhibits it. Not just because we have been enabled to through the working of the Holy Spirit. But because we see in each other what the world does not see. And that is the image of God in our fellow man. We as believers ought to love that which resembles God. And all men, women, and children are made in the image of God. And so we are to love every man, woman, and child, whether they be unbeliever or believer alike. Yet, the love ought to abound even more so amongst the saints. Because it's in the believer that the image of God is most clearly present, is most clearly seen. And the, greatest, and the greater the resemblance of God, in, a, in an individual, the greater our love ought to be for that person. And this is why the church ought to be the place where, where love is most clearly manifested. Because here the saints gather and we see in one another the image of God and so that love for one another ought to be most clearly manifest amongst us here today. This is, it's this love in the, in the church that I'm describing here that it differentiates us from the world. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
You know, I wonder what people visiting our church would say about it. Maybe we can, we can ask later on and get, and, 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 and get a survey. But would they say, here at, at Covenant Baptist Church, we see the, the love of God. That we, we see the love for one another that we, we do not see everywhere else. That ought to be the goal. In order that we might glorify our God. In order that we might cause our Father to delight in His children. Think about it, especially you who are parents. Are you not delighted? Do you not find pleasure when you find, when you see mutual love between your children? And when you see backbiting and infighting and bickering, does that not cause you displeasure? How much more so is that magnified in God? Which is why David can say in Psalm 133 verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So let us dwell in unity here, brothers and sisters. Let us not just come to offer ritualistic observance to the law, but rather let us come as living sacrifices unto God. But that only can be done when our souls are moved by love towards God and our neighbor. This takes us then to our third and final point, which is proximity to the kingdom of God. Jesus, in response to the scribe, who has heartily affirmed what Jesus said, answers this way in verse 34. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus is clearly teaching here is that you are either in the kingdom or you are outside of the kingdom. There is no in-between. There is no advantage in the age to come for someone who is just outside of heaven's gates. You are either in or you are out. And aren't there so many people like that today that we, we know about? Maybe family members are, are just outside the gates. Right? So many who, who come to church, who read their Bible weekly, who pray, who can intellectually tell you about the Bible, and yet they are just outside the kingdom. They are almost there, but not yet. I think it's these people that Jesus is describing in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Remember when he returns and they say, Lord, Lord, right, have, have we not prophesied? Have we not confessed your name? And what's Jesus going to say? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. This is going to be those people right, who, who come to church, who profess the name of Christ, who read their Bible, but are just outside the gates. And nobody loves that person. An almost Christian, but not yet, more than Satan. Nobody loves that almost Christian more than Satan. That is where he wants each and every one of you here today to be. Believing that you are in the kingdom, but just outside its gates. Being deceived. Thinking that because you profess the name of Christ with your lips that you are in the kingdom. That is what he wants, even though you are just outside the gates of Zion. I think this is where many Catholics are. This is where many Mormons are. The Jehovah's Witnesses are. Right? They, they're devout to their religion. They believe in God. They have some notion of Jesus. But they are outside the kingdom. They're not in the kingdom. I think this is where many legalists in the Christian religion are as well. Right? Those who have, have turned away from, from faith and trust in God to, to self-righteousness. Right? Those, those legalists who have now 
turn themselves into Pharisees by stacking themselves up and everyone else according to what, they, what commandment they think is most important according to their own tradition. Right? Forgetting that we are all sinners. Forgetting that we are all lawbreakers. And the penalty for breaking God's law is death. This is what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. The soul that sins shall die. And so there is no entrance into the kingdom of God through ritual observance, through commandment keeping, through tradition following. The only way one may enter into the kingdom of God is through faith in His beloved Son. This scribe was so close, yet not in. He was a confession away. That's, that's the only thing he couldn't see. He couldn't see who stood before him. He was a confession away that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Son of God. And if you think about it, all unbelievers are really a, a confession away. And yet, they're not going to ever confess the name of Christ if they believe they can fulfill the law. If they think they can keep the law, they're not going to see the need of a Savior. Not understanding the law was given to show us our need of Christ. Christ was sent into the world to answer the law. And He has done that. So that we might now look to Christ for the free forgiveness that comes through His name and His name alone. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters here today, have you gone to Christ for the free grace of the Gospel? Or have you gone to Christ for that free grace offered to you in the Gospel? Has God given you a new heart that has caused you to love Him first and then love your neighbor as yourself? Let each and every one of us here today ask ourselves the question, am I just close in proximity to the kingdom or am I in the kingdom? And that answer hinges on whom do you trust in? Is it yourself or God? Whom do you love most of all? Is it God or is it yourself? And if your love and trust lie with God, then let us labor not only after advancement in knowledge, but also advancement or or the cultivation of a heart that demonstrates true faith. A true faith which then will manifest itself in love both toward God and our neighbor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We confess this day that we have not loved our neighbor as we ought. We ask, Lord, that You would strengthen and empower us by Your Holy Spirit, uh, that we might look away from self and look to Christ, that we might be those who deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ, which means loving with a selfless love. So, Father, we come before you this day asking these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.